He's a retired police sergeant with 22 years experience. Part of his assignment was as a SWAT team member on Veterans Day 2016. He was shot multiple times, left paralyzed, both legs amputated. He's here to tell his story and how it can motivate others. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Who can first responders turn to when they need help? Shatterproof at FHE. Providing world-class, exclusive treatment services for first responders suffering from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and or substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you find details about Shatterproof. Connected with us from Boise, Idaho, we have Kevin Holtry on the phone. Kevin is retired. Boise, Idaho police sergeant, 22 years on the job. And this, we have a lot of tough conversations on the Law Enforcement Today show. This one's tough. He was shot multiple times in a SWAT call out, left paralyzed, and both legs amputated. Is that correct, Kevin? Yeah, I was. Uh, my initial, during the initial shooting, uh, I took a round below my left knee and my shin, which uh, was pretty devastating. They tried for a while to keep that, but ultimately, Due to some infections, uh, I had to have a above the knee amputation, and then I had to have my my other leg amputated um, due to some complications. I had fallen a couple times doing some transfers, and uh, once you don't walk on your leg for a period of time, you know it, the bones get really soft, and it was just sort of another health decision I had to make to have my other leg amputated. So yeah, now I'm. I'm missing both of them, but this is a really tough conversation because, well, we talk about things and, and, and quite honestly, the reason we did this show, the reason I started this show a long time ago, I'm a retired police sergeant, mm-hmm. Kevin's a retired police sergeant, mm-hmm. and we never have an opportunity for police to tell the reality of what happens. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the news media gets it so wrong most of the time, and now they're so biased, it's not even remotely close to truth. But when you have an officer mm-hmm. shot, one of the things they'll say in their reporting this could be TV, could be radio, could be print. Uh, the good news is the injuries aren't life-threatening. And they really never talk about what happens afterwards. Most places don't even give them the opportunity. Uh, you're right. I mean, it's kind of a, a weird, I don't even really know how to explain it. It's just the, the culture in general. I mean, I'm fortunate if I, I live in a community where uh, they – for the most part, I mean, the vast majority of people, and they were very good to me when I got shot. Um, I mean, there was a few things. I remember getting some messages saying, you know, I should have died that day. Uh, you know, my injuries can't hide my corruptness and, you know, all that kind of that goes on. And, yeah. I, you know, that's fine, whatever. But 
by and large, uh, the community, and I still get sort of, and I had a couple news interviews and that, you know, they put your picture up there and, you know, I have a few people that will recognize me. It's diminished, but, um, you know, I wasn't the only one shot that day. Uh, my partner who was kind of covering me, well, he was covering me when I was trying to open this gate when I got shot and, uh, our canine Jardo was shot and killed that day too. And he honestly, uh, he probably saved my life or at least gave me a few seconds while the guy was shooting me that the the other guys on the team were able to engage him in a really close gunfight and kill him. And so, you know, that, 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 the Jardo and me being a canine handler back in the day as well, I, you know, I'm a dog lover and uh, that really broke my heart more than anything. Don't even get me started on dogs, Kevin. I'm telling you, I've had Rottweilers for the last 25 years and, yeah, you know, I, I, when I think about the ones that passed, oh my God, I, I, I can't, I can't <laughs> even explain the emotional response I have. Yeah, it's it's tough. We uh, we just put down a lab that we had that was fourteen about two months ago, and it's still um, my girl still can't really talk about her, and she I hear you. So it was a pop. So and here's it's the a thing. thing, you know that. You know, I, I never had a chance to be a canine guy, and you know, I, mm-hmm. I've always been a dog person my whole life. But I was mm-hmm. afraid if I had a, if I was a canine cop, I'd get the dog who wouldn't shut up. He'd be barking in my ear like nonstop, and I'd be screaming, "Stop, oh, no. please!" But you guys <laughs> no, have a unique <laughs> you guys have a unique bond with, between the handlers and the dogs, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's great to go to work every day and the work that they do. And some, I mean, my dog Huck, he was a he wasn't an apprehension dog. He was just a, a dope dog. He was a narcotics detection dog. And I mean, he put more people in prison and sees more money than you can even imagine. And, uh, but it was great, you know, taking your dog to work every day and, you know, some of the miraculous things that they can do. It's, it's incredible. Great tool, a phenomenal tool. And ultimately, you know, Jardo, uh, yeah, he saved my life. And, uh, it was a tough, I mean, a lot of, a lot of different ways that, uh, you know, that was a tough day, but, uh, I think going back to your original question, you know, how things go, I say, it's kind of odd. It's, I think I'm, I guarantee I'm not the only cop, whether you retire with, you know, a medal of honor and the purple heart and all the, you know, accolades that go along with it, or you just retire. Once you're off the Island, you're off the Island. You know, I have only about, probably three to four really good friends that I stay in contact with. And Boise is not a huge department, but it's also not small. You know, we're the capital city, and I think, I don't know how many swarm we have, three something. And, um, yeah, it's uh, once you're gone, it's uh, you just sort of don't hear from anybody ever again. That's the reality you know, what happens. my chief to anybody, you know, guys that I was there with. And so uh, that that was the hardest thing, I think. One of, one of the hardest things initially was that, just being – immediately just separated and it was a it was it was tough to get used to but you know i've gotten used to it now and it's it's not that big a deal well one of the things before we get into the day you were injured Mm -hmm. two things i want to cover one Mm -hmm. is your police experience i think it's important people understand that you were Mm -hmm. no rookie and i've got nothing against rookies we all start that way so i don't want anyone to misconstrue what i say but the other one is Mm -hmm. a, a great point you brought up you know, my career was over due to injury. I got hurt. Uh, I was mm-hmm. retired at 33. Mm-hmm. And literally, the day I was retired, actually before then, because you're on medical leave, 
that mm-hmm. you, you are non-existent and you you wondered do people even know who i was do you ever have those thoughts yeah big time i i could walk in the department right now and other than them sort of knowing about the incident and maybe recognizing my name i mean nobody knows who i am um the amount of and i don't think BPD or Boise police is any different than most agencies. We've got a lot of guys that are leaving early, retiring early, you know, they've just sort of had a belly full of all this stuff. And it's tough when you, when you consume the, you know, you're a racist, you're a killer, you're a, what, you know, name it. Um, guys are just like, yeah, I've had, I've had enough of this. This isn't really what I signed up for. And I hear a lot of stories now and, you know, our administration's changing and, and that's, it's just uh, becoming, a lot more left-leaning, I guess, and things that have just from, you know, I was a defensive tactics instructor and, you know, we were using neck restraints since the late 70s and it was the best tool we ever had. And we right. got a new chief from Portland and he immediate first day on the job, you know, our second day, he immediately removes the best defensive tactics tool we have, the great equalizer. And it was, you know, just devastating because it really puts police in, you know, in, our, in a lot more danger, you know, you just, they start taking away tools just because of how it looks. That really, That's the, the main thing is yeah, the optics of, is what they're concerned. We're talking with Kevin Holtry. Kevin is retired, mm-hmm. a Boise police sergeant. He was shot multiple times, left paralyzed, has had both legs amputated. When we return, we're going to talk about the incident and his life after. Mm-hmm. This is Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. Return conversation with Kevin Holtry on the Law Enforcement Day. Kevin is joining us from Boise, Idaho, and I'll tell you why I know how to pronounce that in just a moment. Kevin is a retired police sergeant, 22 years on the job. He was an FTO, defensive tactics instructor, canine handler, street crimes unit, vice narcotics for nine years, working undercover, 17 years as a SWAT cop, and he was uh, shot multiple times. Canine partner was killed, and his partner was shot or survived. You're shooting that... that I hate to, that's how we used to talk back in the day. I don't know what you and Boise, mm-hmm. that we called it shootings. We didn't even call them officer-involved shootings back in the day. They were just shootings. No, we just, we just call them shootings. Yeah. And if it's sometimes, sometimes OIS, you know, officer-involved shootings, but it's typically, you know, so-and-so was involved in the shooting last night. He's fine. You know, that's just the, the way it goes. Before we get into the day you were injured, 
I do want to clarify. I know how to say Boise, Idaho, because my wife makes me watch HGTV shows, and there's a guy, a couple of guys in Boise, and they had a whole episode on how to pronounce it correctly. One of them's from Texas, and he pronounced it wrong. So that's the only reason why I know how to pronounce it. Yeah, Moses, you can tell when somebody's not here, they throw a Z in there. It's not Boise, it's Boise, so. Yeah, well, there's. I guess there's an upside to watching HGTV, and that would be it. Uh, and I've gotten That's better right. at interior design. <laughs> not good, but better. Um, so <laughs> I you, you were a, a street cop for a long time. I want to say cop, and particularly street cop. That's the ultimate compliment in my book. Uh, we can call each other that. Yeah. Some people like the terms police officer. I, I don't mind that, or a law enforcement officer. I don't mind that either, but. When I refer to someone as a cop, that's a compliment. And you were a, a, a street cop, and you've been doing everything for a long time. Yeah, I started, you know, at least in Boise, you start, you have to work a minimum of three years on the street, which I was totally fine with before you try to transfer to any specialty. And, you know, I worked just like anybody else. I like working night shift because that's just where everything happened. And, uh, you know, I started off working nights and then... Uh, God, I have to think back. I went back and I finally got onto what's called a community policing team, which is uh, typically the street level drug stuff. That's where I really cut my teeth, I guess, on drug investigations, learning how to, you know, write search warrants, doing search warrants, et cetera. I'd gotten on the SWAT team a little earlier. So I was initially on the entry team and, um, you know, that was always pretty good. I was in the military, too. I was in the 3rd Infantry Division. So the idea of being part of a group of guys that were sort of like-minded and, and you know, really committed to staying in shape and, and shooting and honing their, you know, pistol and rifle craft. And it was good. It was – that was my favorite thing. And then uh, ultimately I got uh, uh, selected to join our vice narcotics team. Ended up doing a lot of undercover work, and some of them were long-term covert. One was two years um, I won't really get into what it was, but it was involved, you know, uh, I ended up being kind of the, I don't know what you want to call it. Like the, I dealt with a lot of the, the white pride dudes, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Aryan Knights guys coming and, out of prison. And by the way, see, we have different white needs. Cops don't like them at all. Uh, people, that's something else that we've no, been hearing. No. That. I, I had run-ins with no, skinheads and neo-Nazis and KKK as a mm-hmm. sergeant. And I didn't, they knew I didn't like them. Yeah. They knew not no, the best. Yeah. They're very, very violent guys. And, yeah. uh, you know, I didn't, I finally ultimately, you know, I'd had enough of that after, again, I had two, I was a single father, you know, I got divorced like a lot of cops. It's a tough profession. Um, I raised, uh, you know, two daughters and one just graduated high school. My other one lives in SoCal and, uh, it's, uh, it was I look back now as kind of disservice to them because of how I looked. And as they got a little bit older, they were a little embarrassed to to be out with me. And I mean, you know how it is. is, Uh, is My daughters were embarrassed to be with me. It didn't matter how I looked. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Teenagers like, oh, dad, stop. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to go back to meet the teacher night, dad. I go, yeah, I know. (laughs) Because all all the parents are looking at me like I'm a complete, you know. Plus, as as a cop, I I don't know about you. (laughs) We we get very protective of people. And, you know, daughters Mm -hmm. in particular, sometimes we go a little overboard. Was that an issue for you? Um, Not overboard. Um, I will say, you know, and this is difficult to talk about, the 
the shooting itself was very hard on my daughters. Yeah, I bet. And they've struggled with it because, you know, they went from a dad, you know, who was, you know, 6'1", 225, to not having any legs and being paralyzed and, and seeing me in ICU in a coma for 10 days. And, I mean, the shooting, and if you want to get into it, I have no problem yeah, talking do. about it. I've, I've, gone, I've gone around the country. I've been to Kansas, Missouri, Washington, different, you know, doing gang conferences like the Missouri Gang Investigators Association or Washington State Gang Investigators Association. And, and it's, I have about a three-hour presentation about the shooting. My partner who was there who shot the guy, uh, he's a gang detective, and he kind of does the gang nexus. And so I've talked about it a lot. And believe it or not, it helps. Um, I really – it doesn't bother me. But to get right down to the nitty-gritty, um, I know we have a certain amount of time, but uh, November 9th in 2016, uh, there – and you got let me backtrack just a hair because – and I'm really going to pare this down. But Idaho kind of came, came up – the Idaho Department of Corrections came up with a justice reinvestment initiative, they called it, where they started letting guys out of prison super early to save money. In fact, the guy that shot me uh, wasn't supposed to be out until 2026. Uh, Southside gang member, prison gang member, um, bad dude, been in, you know, shooting, selling guns, which were used in murders. Um, just a just a very violent guy, you know, tatted up from fingernail to fingernail. He had just, they had let him out and he had somehow thought that, some family members had snitched on him or somebody and they were at a house party in a neighboring city of Boise called Meridian, which is basically one city now as things go. But, um, he, they were in a, a house party. He just pulled his, his gun out and just started blasting away. And he shot, let's say his sister or his sister's friend paralyzed her, shot another guy in the leg. I think who lost his leg, shot a guy going out a window. Um, so I think there was three victims in that initial shooting. And then the next day, there was literally 89 year old woman coming out of her water aerobics class and he put a gun to her head and stole a car and carjacked her. And, uh, it just so happened on November 11th, which was veterans day. Um, I don't know how some departments work, but ours, if you're not what they call necessary employees, i.e. patrol, you know, you gotta have patrol right. officers, all CID, all detectives, everybody, they make them take the day off so they don't have to pay them the overtime because it's a paid holiday. And so we were short. And when I mean short, the team was short. Some guys had gone to Oregon to go fishing. Some guys had, you know, we were probably half staff and we'd run a 12, 13 person entry and four snipers. And I remember I had just left Narcs and I was done with it. And I said, I just want to be a cop again. I like wearing a uniform. I, you know, that's why I became a cop. I do like helping people. And it's kind of and nice. I, it, we're going to take a short break. Uh, it's kind of nice yeah. being in uniform. We're going to take a short break. We're talking Kevin Holtree, retired Boise mm-hmm. police sergeant, shot multiple times, paralyzed. Uh, both legs have been amputated. Mm-hmm. We got so much more to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. 
We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Joining us from Boise, Idaho, we have retired Boise Police Sergeant Kevin Holtry on the phone. On November 11, 2016, he was shot multiple times by a, a known gang member who was supposed to be in prison, uh, was left paralyzed. Their canine partner was killed. Uh, his partner was shot. We're, we're talking about that. And before we went to the break, Kevin, we started talking about the lead up. This guy was a bad guy. He should have been in prison. He mm-hmm. got released early. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, he had a long jacket of violence, but I think they just used the top one, which might have been some sort of a like a check fraud type of thing. And so they said he wasn't they didn't consider him a violent offender. And so they let him out early. And then, you know, he shot the people at the house party who he, he thought maybe they did. I don't know. Had uh, snitched on him and put him back on this 90 day respite, whatever he had. And then. uh so we were, lo- and of course, you know, everybody knew what he looked like. Everybody was kind of looking for him. And on the 11th, uh, as fate would have it, one of our off-duty detectives was going to a store to pick up something. And uh, he was in his in his own car, didn't have a, a radio with him or anything. He was at a stoplight, looked over, sees the guy, sees a stolen car, calls dispatch, tries, tries to kind of follow him, uh, gets burned pretty fast. By this time, you know, all the, the marked units are converging on the area. Uh, pursuit ensues, and we're talking maybe four in the afternoon, and it right. was a holiday, so it was heavy traffic. He's going through yards, busting through fences. Ultimately, we find him in a neighborhood up on what we call the Boise Bench. It's part of town, kind of an older part. Um, some of the, you know, just kind of run down, rough, a little bit rougher part of town. And, uh, um, they find his car, a two-man car, sees him leaving the driveway. He runs back in. They, long story, we get him, they get him pinned down, get a good perimeter set up, and it's in a one-block area, nine houses, a lot of sheds, decks, you know, all the stuff that terrify you when you're looking for somebody that's armed. And uh, we had to find the guy. I mean, there's just one of those things where this wasn't just a guy who ran from a, a t-stop that you know maybe had a misdemeanor warrant or something where if he gets away you'll find him another day but this is a guy that we for sure had to find and so once we got him secured we're confident he was in this area um try to we since we were so short i had transitioned over to the sniper side about two years prior because i I just kind of had enough of being on the entry side and i was getting older and kind of broke down and I was learning the new skill set, but since we were so short, they said, you know, our team, uh, team leader at the time, 
he's like, I want you to be point. I said, okay, no, no worries. You know, that's, let's do this. And then Chris Davis, who was covering me, uh, we just started searching yard to yard with our dogs. And we had, I think four on site at that time, because it was a fairly warm day, believe it or not, in November. And the dogs were going to gas out fairly fast. if The searches went prolonged. And so, uh, we won backyard, nothing, second, nothing. Finally, we get to the third. Plan was open the side gate, put Jardo in, hopefully. And we had some intel that maybe he was in a shed. Somebody had seen or heard something. And so we were kind of, we are getting pretty confident he was going to be in this backyard. And there was no doubt in my mind, um, you know, we were, it was going to be a gunfight. However, it turned out, this guy wasn't going to go back to prison. And uh, given what he had done and, so I remember I was, we went on the side of the house. It has wing fencing, uh, narrow. I, I don't know how, where you're from, but we have these, we call them trash cans. The, the kind of big plastic ones with right. wheels and a handle and you lean back and push them to your curb. It was the spot where the gate was is just about as wide as those two trash cans. And so we had to move the trash cans and, and it was a very tight, like you could barely be shoulder to shoulder with somebody in this little tight compact area. But what, you know, again, hindsight's everything. But at the time I didn't know there was a little nook back behind the trash cans and they were concave. And this guy wasn't a big guy. He's only maybe five, four, about a buck 40, but we knew, and I, I moved one trash can. Chris was kind of, on his toes trying to sort of look over the fence or look between the slats just to see anything. And he had his AR up. And, uh, as I was trying to manipulate the gate, the only time in the whole day, you know, my hands are empty and, uh, you know, my AR slung, but it's hanging down and I got my pistol and my thigh rig and I'm messing with the gate. And I looked down to my right and I could just through the shadow and this little alcove, I could see him squatted down on his heels and I'm talking, man, two feet away. I mean, he, I was right on top of him and he was, had his gun pointed right up at me. And I went in that split second, I go, and this wasn't really my first, we'll call it a critical incident shooting, whatever you want to call it. And I knew I go, man, I'm, I'm going to get shot. I knew, I mean, the second I saw him, I made eye contact with him. And that's the one thing I do remember. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't like amped up. He wasn't scared. He wasn't like freaked out. He was just stone cold. And so I said, well, I got to get off the X real fast, but I couldn't go forward. I couldn't go left. I couldn't go right. And I kind of tried to take a step back. And just as I did that, and again, keep in mind, I mean, this was in a microsecond. This wasn't a 20 second decision to make. It was, I saw him and I tried to just move and I thought, don't get shot in the head. And I would just wanted to hit my body armor. And I just felt this, it felt like somebody took a 40 pound baseball bat and hit me right in my lower back and everything just shut off. And I went face first and I bashed my face right on the concrete and at the time I didn't know, but it gave me a, a brain bleed and I have had a bit of a TBI um, but then I, I was then because, you know, he shot me and now I'm going to shoot him. And, but I, it just, nothing was working. I couldn't turn over. I couldn't move my legs. And what I didn't know is as he shot me, he, he, he reached around the corner and he, he continued to shoot me. And I, 
he shot me in my right femur, which shattered my femur and my right leg. And so I have a big rod in that shot me in the stomach. And this is all under my body armor shot me in the stomach, which screwed up, you know, all my internal organs. I have a ostomy bag. I have to, you know, use a catheter through my belly button. It's a total nightmare to just go to the bathroom, but shot me in my lower left leg, my left hip, uh, I'm trying to think of all my injuries now. That's but enough, that, isn't it? I mean, times. yeah, that, that <laughs> I, what, what, what kind of really stands out in my mind is, you know, I, I'm fortunate. I was never shot. I've been shot at multiple mm-hmm. times, but how everything mm-hmm. slows down. You said it wasn't 20 seconds. It was a millisecond, but your mind processes everything and you can remember very, very Oh, I was accurately. awake. I was awake the whole time. And, and when you I said, remember... when you said you got really angry, I can remember many times when people try to kill me and I'm oh, like, yeah. what? And I don't know where it comes from even to this day, Kevin, but it is a very primordial anger that it's like, I, yes. I, I don't know how to explain it. Well, and it's not even that I was trying to get my knife, just a little fixed blade knife that I carry for whatever. And I wanted to stab the guy. I mean, it sounds crass and it maybe it sounds violent, but I think anybody that's been in that situation, I was so mad that I, I go, I, I didn't want to shoot. I wanted to stab him, which sounds crazy. And I've never thought that in my whole life, but it's just one of those things, how your brain works. And it is a, it's a, someone's trying to kill you. It is You're gonna do whatever you can a to primitive save your life. part of us. And that's and- it. You know, and I wasn't raised to be that guy, but I can be that guy. No. And, and in a way, it's a, a big contradiction because I was raised to be a gentleman. We grew up with a John Wayne kind of guy. Clint Eastwood's kind of, and these were mm-hmm. right and wrong. Everything's clear, mm-hmm. clearly defined. There, mm-hmm. There's no gray area. This is the Law Enforcement Show. We are talking with Kevin Holtry. Kevin is a retired Boise, Idaho police sergeant, 22 years experience. He was shot multiple times on November 11, 2016, causing paralysis. Uh, He's since had amputations and, and more. When we return, we're going to talk more about the incident and his recovery. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again? Or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. Return conversation with Kevin Holtry and the Law Enforcement Today Show. Kevin is retired. Boise, Idaho Police Sergeant. He was shot multiple times, left paralyzed. That was November 11, 2016. Before we went to break, mm-hmm. Kevin, you're talking about this guy shot. You were talking about he had the anger and how you wanted to get it, and you weren't able to even move and do the things. How long mm-hmm. did it take before you realized the severity of your injuries? Well, what happened after I got shot, um, I mean, God bless, and I get emotional. Um, I, I have some issues. Some of them, the probably the big, biggest thing I struggle with is guilt. 
And when I say guilt is that I feel like I put my family, my parents, my daughters and my brothers in, into a position, not that they weren't capable of handling their business, but I love them and they love me that, you know, agape brotherhood love that you have for guys when you're in life or death situations, you know, you have a certain bond. And then these are guys I've worked with for 20 years and were my best friends and they thought I was dead. And so that, that makes me feel cruddy, you know, that I had to put them through that. But when I went down, I, I crawled a little bit forward trying to turn over. And again, these guys, they stepped and, and this, again, this is five feet away. By this time, the guy had stood up from behind the trash can, shot Chris in the left thigh. He had probably, I think he ultimately shot 11 rounds through the trash can, which we're shooting, you know, uh, fully jacketed, you know, I think 62 grain AR rounds. A lot of them disintegrated in the plastic. Um, they didn't work as well. It was kind of a weird deal. It's plastic in the trash can, but the guys, they were shooting over me as I'm laying down, um, shot him, uh, killed him, stepped over me as they were doing so, drug me back behind a car that was in the driveway. Uh, we have a Bearcat, an armored vehicle, uh, and our TAC med, we always have uh, tactical medics with us. They came flying in, and I, and I, I know cops throughout the country and the world, they talk about tourniquet, 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 but... I'm telling you, the tourniquets are what saved my life, too, on that day. They were immediately on me. They got an IV started. I didn't know it, too, but when I got hit in the stomach, it hit a major artery, and so I was really bleeding out bad. That's what almost killed me. Thank God we were a mile away from southern Idaho's really only uh, level two or three trauma center. If I would have been another four miles in either direction, I would have. I would have bled to death for sure. But they threw me in the Bearcat. We didn't even wait for an ambulance. I threw Chris in. Off we went. Um, I remember going in the, the trauma room, which I'd been in, you know, before, uh, you know, with victims of shootings or stabbings. And uh, I just said, Chris, you here? He goes, yeah. I said, you all right? He goes, yep. And then really that's the last thing I remember. Uh, I was asleep for maybe a week, eight days. Uh, man, I woke up worst experience of my life. Um, it was horrible from the medication to just your body trying to react to the, I mean, that had cut me open from my entire stomach, try to find, you know, find the bleed. They, all the ortho surgeries they had to do while I was still unconscious, um, orthopedic surgeries and finally wake up, uh, man, I was in the hospital for a couple months had to amputate my left leg during that time. I started, I had a bad stomach infection from the bullet. Uh, had some problems with some intestinal stuff. Uh, uh, finally got to where I was okay. And then I flew to Denver to a place called Craig hospital, which is probably the best rehab facility there is in the country. And I was blessed to be able to go there. Um, it was like boot camp for paraplegics. They don't mess around. They're very serious and I'm glad they did it. I was there for a couple months and then I came home and that's when the real problems really started. I mean, there are issues that I had because once I got home and my girls went back to school, I'm sitting there by myself, you know, and they remodeled my house and they, you know, a lot of guys that I work with, you know, that framed when they're in college or drywalled or whatever did some amazing work. And so, but now I'm by myself and I'm like, it, it was, it was really hard. I, and I, 
when I go around the country or when I did a couple years ago, at the end of the presentation, I would, I would always, my partner, Brian, he's the same way. I never had anything scripted, never anything written down, but I had gone through a pretty dark period where I was convinced I was going to kill myself and I'm very transparent about it. The pain is, I still have a bullet in my T11 vertebrae and the nerve pain is unbelievable and it happens every single day i've learned to deal with it i stay as far away from opiates you know as i can because i've just seen the, the what, horrors you know, that, that come path from that. leads right yeah i'd rather be in chronic constant pain than be a opiate addict and i've i've done interventions on other cops i've seen guys lose their job over that kind of and yeah. so it it was um that was really hard for me. And I was, man, lucky enough. I ran into a guy that when I used to coach boxing, when he was in high school, he ended up going to UCLA, uh, became a commissioned officer and he was a green break captain in Afghanistan. And he got hurt really bad in 2017. And he and I reconnected at a SWAT competition and, uh, man, that dude probably saved my life as far as he's the only person I know that has been through this type of injury that I could be open. I could cry if I needed to, I could, and he was the same way. He used to call me at one in the morning. Like he, he he's in the same boat. You know, right. It's, it's very difficult being a alpha male and doing, you know, SWAT work and, you know, undercover buying, you know, two pounds of meth from some guys named sniper and smiley and, you know, all that kind of so that's what really helped me, I think, get out of my my mindset. And I did try to talk to counselors. They made me do that, but it, it just never really worked. I've tried everything. I've tried ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. I've done acupuncture. I've done meditation. I've done, you know, name it. I've tried everything. And uh, the only thing that really works is just having somebody that will look at you and listen and let you be you and let all that hurt and all the stuff that's inside, you know, come out. And that's the, that's the big thing for me. Having and people so that have now, been there is, I, in my opinion, it, 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 you cannot replace that. And the ones that can do it in a non-judgmental way are the most important. And, and I love cops. I say this all the time. I love police. But they're the first mm-hmm. one to go, well, I would have done this if I was there. And I replied yeah. with, you weren't there. And it, and it really yeah, makes me angry. Thing. Yeah, people ask me that all the time, and I go, "Look, I wasn't there. I wasn't this." But I've never had anybody say, "Did you do this?" or "I would have done that." I'll probably punch him in the throat if I do. <laughs> I, it, hear it, I hear you. It, it, look, I hear you. That that would me off. That's the one not, thing I cannot. You, know, you weren't there. <laughs> I can't tolerate it. Um, you know, one thing that amazes me. There's so much about your story that is. It's a very powerful story, and we got to have you back to talk. I really want to talk about your recovery, uh, how you, you and your daughters, but we're out of time. The thing that amazes me, Kevin, is even after all this extreme physical and mental trauma, you found a way to take this and give back and to help. It kind of motivates you to help other people. There's a couple organizations you're involved with. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, there's a, a group called the Challenge Athletes Foundation, CAF. They just call it CAF. They're based out of San Diego, but they have chapters um, throughout the United States. Uh, in fact, 
two years ago, I went down to San Diego to their big fundraiser. They have a triathlon and other races. I did a one mile open water ocean swim and I'm a kid from Idaho. I don't swim in the ocean and I had to learn how to swim with one leg being paralyzed. And I did that. And, uh, they just help people with, uh, a lot, and especially kids. I like going, you know, and they have events where kids have never participated in the team sport. And that was my life growing up wrestling, football, baseball, you know, that's all I did. And, uh, it's fun to, you know, to help them out. And so I help challenge athletes foundation. Great. And the second one is one here in Idaho, uh, mission 43, Idaho's the 43rd state. And so the Albertsons family foundation, um, really funds this Albertsons grocery store. They're based out of Boise and they, uh, they do a lot with it, but it's, it helps veterans a ton. And, uh, I've been to a lot of events with them. And again, guys that are, paraplegics or amputees or whatever just to crack a few jokes just be around the fellas again and it doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair you're missing an arm or whatever that that's been you know i try to get involved with them and those are really the two groups that uh you know that i've i've spent a lot of my time since i've uh, uh been injured so and you do uh, public speaking as well correct yeah, um, I go around. I've uh, been invited to a lot of different departments. Um, I go to our post academy, which the state academy is uh, in Meridian again, in a neighboring city. I go talk to them uh, about my shooting. Now, when you're new, you're 23 years old. You're driving around. It's a great time. But the way it stands now, I, you know, it's a little bit more. It hits home when you see a guy with one leg and you know, eight, five bullets, nine, and they were nine rounds. Kevin, we're going to have to have you back (laughs) on the show in the future. I really Mm -hmm. appreciate taking time to talk to us and and thank you so much for your service. Much appreciated. Yep. I appreciate it. And if there's anything I can do, honestly, I would love to talk a lot more about police and mental health and especially after critical incidents and, and, uh, there's other ways to handle it instead of, uh, taking your, your life at your own hand. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.